0: You duped me, O oh Lord, and I let myself be duped. I'm reminded of when I came back to the Catholic Church in college, that I had my plan. I would become a nuclear engineer, get married, and have a family. And this is how it was going to work in my own mind and what I was telling God how to do his job. It was, I be a good Catholic and you give me what I want. That's kind of how naive I was at the time. And so, well, we can see what happened. Um, I became a priest instead. But we can see how God duped me, as in he let me think something that wasn't true in order to get me to do his will. But God's will is always what's best for us. And so I'm glad he duped me, I'm glad he tricked me into following him. I'm glad he led me to the priesthood, because this is what is best for me. This is what God had in mind. He knows me better than I know myself. So even though I had in my own mind what I thought would be a good idea, God had something better in mind. And this concept of being duped is something that the prophet Jeremiah experienced. God calls him to be a prophet, to share the good news and what god gives him to tell people is about violence is about repentance is about unpleasant things because he's trying to get the people of israel to repent of their sins and to return to him instead of staying in their sinfulness and following false gods but then what happens to jeremiah is that he's he's ridiculed he's mocked it's not a fun experience doing god's will And so he says that he tries not to. Like, well, I'm just just not going to tell anybody these things. And he tries to hold it in. But he finds his fulfillment in doing God's will. The depths of his heart are urging him to share these words that God is giving him. It burns him to keep the words in. And so he goes out and tells everybody, even though he tried to stop himself. Because even though he was undergoing that suffering of being mocked, of being ridiculed, the gifts that God was giving him was even greater. The blessings he was receiving surpassed the suffering he was enduring. And so, in some ways, Jeremiah was duped. He was tricked into following God, but it was for his own benefit, and for the benefit of the whole community, that they may be warned about the direction they're headed so that they can repent and be filled with God's mercy. I imagine the same is true for Peter in our gospel passage, that he too was duped and he let himself be duped. When he encountered Jesus and he saw these signs and these miracles, he started to wonder, started to think, maybe this is the Messiah. And last Sunday, we heard that he made that declaration, you are Christ, son of the living God, and that he was able to make that declaration because of the grace of the father given to him. But that was a relationship defining moment. Jesus is like, okay, now that you really know who I am, we can take our relationship to the next level. I'm going to reveal to you the plan of God. Here's how it's actually going to work. I'm going to suffer and die on the cross, and then I'm going to be raised on the third day. Now, this is very contrary to the common belief of the Jews at the time. Despite all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the suffering servant and the Messiah going through this passion, death, and resurrection, a lot of the Jewish people believed that the Messiah was going to be like King David, that he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire who was oppressing them, that they would have an earthly kingdom with borders, and that this Messiah is going to reign over this earthly kingdom that would last for a time and that they, the disciples, would get to be the leaders under Jesus for this kingdom that has borders and kings and armies and things like that. And so when Jesus reveals what the plan actually is, that's so different from what the disciples probably thought of that Peter immediately tries to tell Jesus, no, don't do this. Peter's thinking a lot like human beings do, not only in his expectation of the Messiah, but also just in the natural aversion to suffering, the natural desire to preserve their own lives. It's a very understandable position that he takes. He says, God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. As in, he doesn't want Jesus to suffer and die, and that's understandable. But that's the mind of human beings. As Jesus said, you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. But before he says that, he says, get behind me, Satan. Like, that's a bold statement. Didn't he just praise Peter last Sunday's reading, a few verses before this one? And now he's calling him Satan? Why does he do that? It's because. Peter is acting like Satan. Not that he's actually the fallen angel leading the rebellion against God, but that he's acting like the fallen angel who's leading the rebellion against God. What does Satan do? He lies, but he also tempts. He tries to get us not to do the will of God. Tries to convince us to take a different route, a different approach. And so that's what Peter's doing here, even though he doesn't realize it. He's trying to tell Jesus not to do the will of the Father, not to make a perfect gift of his life on the cross that makes up for all of the sins of all of humanity for all time, but instead just to save his earthly physical life. And so Jesus has to correct Peter, and he corrects him very strongly so that Peter would understand that what he's doing is not helpful, that he's being an obstacle. He's making it harder for Jesus to do the will of God, because he's thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Jesus goes on to clarify, to make it more abundantly clear, that if we want to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So what does that mean, to deny ourselves and take up our crosses? It means that as we're following the Lord, we're going to face difficulties and challenges, It's not going to be easy, but what God gives us in exchange is going to exceed any kind of suffering we endure here on earth. What God has to offer us is much better than what the world can offer us. And so, yeah, we may have to give up some things of the world in order to follow God, but it's totally worth it. Just an example, when I came back to the faith and I started following the Lord, My friends from college, whom I had been with for about three years or so, they were becoming obstacles to me. I would want to do things with the church. I would want to go to the Catholic Newman Center, go to Mass. And they would say, well, let's play these video games, or let's play these board games, or let's play these card games, because that's what we had always done in the previous years. And I'm taking a different path. And I wanted them to come with me. I wanted them to be on the same journey to follow the Lord and to experience the joy of following the Lord. But they weren't interested. They chose a different route. And so there was tension. There was division. Our friendship was declining because I was having different interests than before. But I wasn't going to give up Jesus. I wasn't going to give up the joy that he was giving me. I wasn't going to give up the fulfillment I was experiencing in the depths of my heart. I had been with those guys for three years, and sure, those, those games and things were fun, but that's just very fleeting pleasure. Feels good at the moment, but then it's gone. But being in relationship with God and experiencing his love, that is worth giving up those friendships for. And so while those friendships declined, God was giving me new friendships with other people at the Newman Center who were also pursuing the faith. And even though that was hard, even though that was difficult, even though there was a real kind of suffering there, it was worth it. If I had just stayed with them and not followed the Lord, I wouldn't be here today. I would be just as miserable as I was those previous years. I'd have those fleeting moments of pleasure, but then that would be it. No fulfillment. No depths of the heart being satisfied. And so imagine if Jesus followed what Peter was telling him. Imagine if Jesus said, okay, you know what? I'm not going to bring about the salvation of the world. I'll just save my own earthly life. Then no one gets to heaven. Like, that's so worse than what Jesus actually did. And the suffering he endured was temporary. It was momentary. Yeah, it was terrible, but it didn't last. And so, if we want to have the joy of Easter Sunday, we have to go through Good Friday as well. And this is what Jesus is talking about in our Gospel passage. He's telling us that if we want to save our... uh, He tells us, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it meaning if we're trying to save our earthly life, if we're living for the pleasures of the world, we're eventually going to die, and that's all we ended up with. But he goes on to say, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As in, if we're willing to let go of these temporary fleeting pleasures of the world, if we're willing to let go of our attachment to sin, if we're willing to allow God to lead us to a greater joy, we'll find eternal life not just the momentary pleasures of the world, but we'll have joy forever, fulfillment forever in heaven. That's what our Lord wants for us. He says, what profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? What if we did get everything we wanted in this life on earth? Then we die, and then what? If we followed God and were willing to let go of things of the world that prevent us from God, then we get eternal life. But the joy of eternity even starts here on earth. Not in the fleeting pleasures, but in the depths of our hearts. God wishes for that to start now, and we see that in all of the saints. We see that in the apostles. After they receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they're going out and boldly proclaiming the truth, even though they're being ridiculed, even though they're being persecuted, and even though all but one of them end up being martyrs giving up their life like Jesus did. But they knew that there was just temporary suffering and that the rewards they would get for following the Lord would far exceed it. And they, even on earth, were experiencing some of the joys of heaven as they're singing in prison, bound by chains, as they proclaim God's goodness after having been brutally beaten. It's because of the grace of God and the fulfillment of the depths of their hearts that they do this. And that's what God wants to offer all of us. Not the fleeting pleasures of the world, but the joys of eternal life. And it starts even now, here on earth. And so we might be seeking the pleasures of the world, but the Lord wants to give us something greater. He dupes us for our own benefit. He may let us think one thing in order to give us something even greater. And that was my own experience, thinking that he'll make me happy by giving me a wife and children. No, he's going to make me very joyful by giving me the priesthood, by giving me the church as a bride, by giving me parishioners as children. God's plans are always the best plans. We are called to follow him and let ourselves be duped for our own benefit. So let us reflect upon how we can better follow the Lord as we prepare to meet him in the Most Holy Eucharist.